0: Welcome back to the Power Hour podcast. Today I am joined by a track and field athlete, Team GB sprinter and hurdler, Lena Nielsen. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for having me back. Well, I say welcome back because the last time we did the podcast, it was actually nearly four years ago. No. Yeah, it was January 2019.
1: Oh, my God, that is almost four years ago. I forget, we're almost the 2023. Where's the time gone?
0: Yeah, and it, and it was a conversation with yourself and with your twin sister, yeah. Lavia. So there was three of us recording. And for anyone who... I mean, such a long time ago, but I encourage you to scroll back through the episodes and find that episode. It was, it was brilliant. And, of course you know me, I'm always in awe of athletes and the dedication, the commitment, just the mindset, the physical, all of it. I am just a fangirl when it comes to athletes. And then since then, of course, four years,
1: so much has happened in that time. (laughs) Yeah, honestly, when you say four years ago, I'm thinking 2019, just it doesn't seem that long ago. But then when I look at everything that's happened, it's such a lifetime ago. And it was a good conversation because I remember we spoke about imposter syndrome. um, And like, it's something that I think a lot of athletes and even venturing to other um, business ventures, like we all, I think, deal with imposter syndrome a lot. So that was a good conversation. Mm. I hope we can have another good one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, oh sure. And yeah, imposter syndrome, I remember us discussing that.
0: And also, I think some people might be surprised when they hear athletes who they see as just having this stature and this power. And, and they're sometimes surprised to hear that those people are insecure or lack self-confidence and Mm -hmm. I know that many athletes do lack self-confidence whether it's in their performance or whether it's in you know other aspects of their life and i think yeah often people are surprised to hear that when they look up to people they almost idolize them put them on a pedestal and think yeah. that they don't have those same challenges
1: that everyone else has yeah i always like to look at it when i look at sports people myself included i look at the sports person and the human and i think a lot of people forget that there's a human side to athletes because it's what we have shown. i think we're partly at fault with this with instagram and sometimes youtube and post-race interviews we show like one side but then actually there's so many layers when it comes to a human being and then like showing yourself or putting yourself out there on a big stage like we deal with so much and i think not a lot of people realize how much athletes actually um, end up dealing with behind closed doors
0: well honestly (laughs) there's so many things that i'm going to talk to you about but that was one of the things i was going to come on to later so maybe we'll just start there as you've you know articulated it so well Uh, because i think Being an athlete is, of course, what you're known for. Mm -hmm. And often when we are known for something, it does become our identity. Mm -hmm. And that can be for anybody, a teacher, an actor, a professor, an athlete, that word, it can, yeah, define you, who you are. But of course, as you just said, we are humans, we are multifaceted, we are complex. And sometimes diminishing or reducing that to one word, it's very limiting. And of course, then we only show, or we only see a limited version of Mm -hmm. that person so yeah how have you because you're so young as well you are so young I forget sometimes how young you are but you've been doing athletics for such a long time that I guess you've probably always had as long as you can remember the word athlete next to your name yeah so yeah how have you I suppose approach this thought about this how do you continue to navigate this dual identity of Lena the athlete and Lena the whole human
1: yeah do you know what, it's such a difficult line to like make sure you don't cross because um, you'll hear a lot of people say you know being an athlete is a lifestyle so yeah we train for four or five hours a day um and then everything else we do is accustomed to that lifestyle so how are you going to fuel yourself or recover um making sure you make the right t- decision? So. Um, I would often miss like friends' birthday parties because a lot of my friends' birthday parties were in the summer, and we compete in the summer. And so, you actually end up like just encapsulating the whole identity. You're like, okay, I'm an athlete, so I can't go to this birthday party, or I can't stay up too late. And then like more going into like I say my late 20s (laughs) I started to realize actually like the human side is way more important than the athlete side Um, and even like the summer that I just had I didn't perform the way I wanted to Um, and when I look back at it now it's like so minor because I've done so much with friends and family and my partner and things like that so being human is so much more important. And so if you just can separate the two, which is really hard. And I think when you're in the first stages of your career, it's pretty difficult because you just want more and more and more. You just want to win. You want to be the best athlete you can be. And then you forget that actually there's a, another human that you need to take care of. And I think I was, uh, I think neglecting that human side for a long time. And only now am I really connecting to her <laughs> and giving her what she needs. Um, so it is a fine line and you really have to sit yourself down and think, how am I going to split my week up to make sure I give both of those people what they need mm. and I only really have understood that the going into 27 now <laughs>
0: wow well and also even when you said it then her it's that second it's that third person idea and almost are you familiar with Tom is it Tom Herman, I think it's Tom Herman, his book which is The Alter Ego Effect and that Mm -hmm. talks about essentially how you can create an alter ego for yourself and how that can be a positive thing so Mm -hmm. using this word, I'm an athlete or I'm a musician or I'm a teacher or you can almost build this yeah alter ego or this other identity that you can become and almost turn on and turn off yeah and he works with a lot of athletes actually and he says that often he'll give them a totem or something that reminds them to turn it on and off so it could be it sounds silly but it could be something as simple as when i put on these glasses or when i put on this necklace or when i tie on these shoes i become this version of myself and maybe that version needs to be ultra competitive focused driven ruthless in the pursuit whatever you want it to be but then when you take those things off you might be a mother a sister a friend yeah. <laughs> you might be a different person and actually that some i don't know i've heard arguments for and against because on the one hand it's like okay yeah we're the whole and we, sh- we can't separate the two but other people say that it's actually yeah, incredibly useful and helpful yeah f- for athletes but also for everyday people to know that you can step into this version of yourself when you need to mm-hmm. but you can turn it off as well
1: yeah and one of my favourite quotes is actually from an ex-athlete um, who retired quite early in terms of like sports people I think he retired in his late 20s um, and he once said on the BBC a happy athlete is a fast athlete and it was because he gave more time to his human side and a lot of people say your personal life reflects on your like sporting life. Um because if you're not happy, if you're not in a good place mentally, you are not gonna perform. And I think it goes in like your business life or like remember when you go to school or your mum's just told you off the morning of <laughs> school day and you go to school and you're miserable, you don't want to do the work and things like that. Like it does affect your personal life does affect your I guess professional life whether that be sports or you're in school or you've got a business and so if you're not giving that person that human the nourishing and the the love and what you need to do to be happy it's not going to be good for the the sports side or the athlete side or where the other side is for you as a person so i think it's so so important and i think that's the reason why i had such a good year this past year in, in my season um before the summer is <laughs> um, because I was, I was an, a happy person. And actually I was speaking to my sports psychologist early on before my season. Um, and I'm a yoga teacher as you know mm-hmm. <laughs> yoga instructor and that's a massive part of me as well um, and I was talking to him and I was like you know I was away I was in uh, I was training in the states and um, so I, I lost all my studio classes I wasn't working at fit that much because um, I obviously teach yoga on that as well um, and I was speaking to him about yoga and I was like I miss teaching I miss that studio aspect of like seeing your regular clients and he said to me you should have seen how much your face lit up as you spoke about yoga and he was like I want you to really feed that person so take yourself to a yoga studio I was in a really small town in Florida <laughs> like really tiny suburban town um, and I was like there's not going to be any yoga studio here. And he was like, just go find one and go take yourself to a class or even ask the owner if you can teach one. I was like, they're not going to let me teach one. But I, I took his advice and I went to a class and, and then I told him my next session, I, I had like weekly sessions with him and he said, did you go to yoga class? I said, yeah, I did. And he was like, I can tell because you look so much happier. Your shoulders are, are you know, relaxed. And, and I think that just goes to show how much you should feed all the other parts that make you human.
0: Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, I've got a big smile on my face. I'm literally just, when you said about... Happiness, Because I think when we look at performance, well-being and just performance in general, so whether that's looking at the physical, the mental, I think the biggest overlook is the emotion, the happiness, Mm -hmm. the joy. Because as you just said, you know, if if someone says, okay, as an elite athlete, let's focus on mindset, let's focus on performance, the physical training, your nutrition, your sleep, your rest, all of these pieces that come together to create optimum performance or performance well-being, as I call it. But the happiness and the joy part, the fuel and the the kind of vibrancy, I suppose, the kind of energy and the, you know, we've both had a joyful year, you know, we've both had a lot of joy. And it's just that I honestly think it's the thing that I myself, I've overlooked that previously in my life. I know other people that do. And I, I think the misconception is that if you focus on happiness and joy, you won't have the discipline the determination and the focus I think they're put opposite ends of the scale especially in elite sports so even hearing you and seeing that smile on your face when you're like I needed to do things to feed my joy and happiness
1: that is going to help me perform better it's not one or the other it's true yeah and it's um it's so important to to know that like you should also enjoy your job you know like a lot of people think it's all go 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 you know don't eat a lot of people ask me how is your diet like are you really strict i'm like no i'm not if i want a chocolate bar i'm gonna have a chocolate bar if i want a glass of red wine i'm gonna have a glass of red wine because that's actually one of the best ways to release dopamine in your body is to enjoy food and so when people say oh, i have a strict diet i eat boiled chicken and rice or rice cakes and fish and i'm like are you enjoying that are you really enjoying that and then it's like with um i guess i'm just walking, talking about elite sport but a lot of people think it's strict, strict strict be regimented and do this and do that and actually like for a lot of athletes and you can go talk to any athlete that doesn't always work for people and it's because they're miserable and then you start to lose the motivation and the joy and, the, and you need passion to drive you in these things and people forget about that so always find a way to enjoy it. and I always say to people who ask me how do I get into track and field or how do I get into elite sport and I go go with a friend like take a friend with you because you need to enjoy it and so when I get Instagram DMs from young athletes and they go how do I get faster how do I do this I'm like honestly I at the stage that you're in, just enjoy it. Just go to the track and run for fun. Like there's nothing, you're not gonna get anything by, you know, restricting your diet and making sure you count sugar and this, that, and the other. So um, I think where, where you said, you know, people think there's enjoyment on one side and then there's business on the other side. Actually, they're quite a lot closer in the spectrum than people think. Hmm. Yeah.
0: yeah, I'm finding it out too. <laughs> <laughs> um, the joy is fueling my life. Yeah. So since you were last on the show, It was four years. A lot has happened in that time. Mm -hmm. Ups and downs. And you mentioned then you've become a qualified yoga instructor and a trainer on the Fit app. Shout out to the Fit fam. (laughs) And you also... I mean, how have we not... where we should have started with the 400 metre hurdles at the 2021 European Championships. Oh, my God, I forgot about that. Well, I just (laughs) casually forgot she's the European champion. So, you know, incredible, incredible highs. And then more recently, you've shared with the press that you were diagnosed with multiple sclerosis almost 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. So this is an illness that affects affects nerve cells and can present in a number of different ways. Mm -hmm. Now, I can't even begin to imagine just navigating that last 10 years so being on the world stage as you said the pressure maybe that you put on yourself or that others put on you Mm -hmm. the physical as i say i don't know that much about multiple sclerosis but you know how it can present and then the mental and emotional side of being given a diagnosis Mm. and on top of that not being able to share it
1: (laughs) so so much in there so much in there yeah. So, yeah, where to begin, I, I suppose. Know, yeah, I mean, you say 10 years. So I, yeah, I got diagnosed yeah almost 10 years ago. And one of the first things I remember saying was, I don't want this to define me. And I was so young. I was 17. Actually, I got yeah diagnosed a month before my 18th birthday. So processing all of that, I'd say I was 18. Um, and I remember saying to myself two things when I was going through that relapse. So what had happened was um, I was completely paralyzed on the right side of my body. So I couldn't really move my right leg or my right arm and that meant I couldn't walk because and did sorry did this come on
0: out of nowhere so you just you you until that point you'd not had any signs or symptoms
1: but Mm -hmm. you just what did you just wake up and you had a paralyzed side of your body so it was so I had two relapses before that but we didn't know what it was so I was 13 when I had my first one um and it was left my left arm was weak and the doctors didn't really know what was going on and you know being a child yeah. you don't really know how to explain things and I was going through puberty as well so I was going through a lot of changes in my body so I thought it was normal I thought everyone goes through this yeah. being 13 years so naive and I remember telling one of the nurses oh I can move my left arm but I can't move my left arm because there was like a slight bit of movement but not strong movement it yeah. was it's always really hard to kind of explain what relapses are um and so the, the nurses and doctors didn't believe me one of them actually said I was doing it to get out of school and I loved school so that that hit me in like the place that hurt most I was like what do you mean I love school um so that was the first one and then six months before I had the paralysis on the right side I had double vision and again that was really strange and it only lasted about four or five days and then it went away but when I had that right side of paralysis it kind of came on gradually so it was like I was doing my, my a levels and um i noticed that i couldn't really hold the pen properly and then it progressed to not being able to form a fist and then not being able to lift my right arm and then so it was like really gradual but it happened within like a week mm. and so the doctors were really scared because it was such a quick progression and then i was hospitalized for a week or so and then i remember like being in hospital bed and thinking this is going to be for this isn't going to be for nothing i'm going to make something of this um and i remember the doctors going you know you need to go on medication and i was like nope i'm gonna recover and i was only 17 i don't know where i found the strength because when i look back i'm like what was i thinking they were like you know you need to take anti-inflammatories and i was like nope i'm fine i'm gonna recover wow. <laughs> and i was so sure of myself and this is why I, I believe so strongly in the power of the mind because i was so sure i was going to recover and i don't know why i knew that but i was so sure of it um and so i told them to dismiss me and then they were like yeah fine my mum can take you home and it took me about six weeks to recover from that but yeah i was like yep gonna go back to track and field i'm gonna be a superstar <laughs> 17 i was like, i'm gonna take over the world um and i just remember saying um this isn't this isn't gonna be for nothing but then also i'm not gonna um publicize this i mean i wasn't an athlete back then i wasn't thinking about being a pro athlete which no one thinks they are at 17 um but i remember thinking like i'm going to try and make the national championships (laughs) which for me now i'm like everyone makes the national championships but back then it was such a big thing for me to do that and to qualify for the national championships um and i said i don't want to publicize it because i don't want to be known as the athlete with ms like i just want to be known as that fast meter runner that fast for hurdler now um so i just remember that being my ethos from back then and so I was I was really strict with myself and I always think back to my 17 year old like girl the 17 year old person and I always talk to her and I, I, I go I'm doing this for you I'm doing this for mm. you so for a long time I didn't want to publicize it but then in the summer I qualified for the world championships it being my first world championships at 26 <laughs> it took me ages to qualify um yeah, it was the day before and I, I had right-sided weakness and left-sided numbness and it was the first time it had affected me publicly um so obviously before that I was an up-and-coming athlete you know I won the European team champs last year um and so I thought some people might know who I am some people might want be watching my race and if you do watch that race you'll notice my body isn't moving correctly and you know I faltered after hurdle five I just slowed all the way down and I think to me it was like okay maybe now's the time <laughs> to maybe share what is going on and um, mm. behind the scenes and i really thought it was just going to be an explanation as to what happened at the world champs i didn't expect so many people to take an interest in it because my mm. instagram blew up my twitter blew up everything i had all these requests from different newspapers and i was like okay right this actually That's might a be a deal. big deal <laughs> and i didn't realize and yeah and it's just been such a well journey since then
0: yeah well i want to loop back if we can so you mentioned you know being 17 and having this this mindset this approach sometimes ignorance is bliss you know I often say that about things Mm -hmm. I'll be like I had no idea but this (laughs) faith this blind faith where you said to the doctors listen it's cool I'm going (laughs) to recover I'm going to be back on the track and training and as you no the mind is so powerful and Mm -hmm. you know i wanted to talk to you actually a little bit about the nocebo effect are you familiar with this the nocebo effect yeah (laughs) so the nocebo effect for anyone who is not familiar with this is essentially the placebo effect in reverse okay so you know the placebo effect yes so the placebo (laughs) effect essentially is if i gave somebody a drink of water and we've all seen space jump and if i told them that this was an amazing elixir of electrolytes and caffeine and different things that was going to enhance their performance drink this drink and now go and do your run and then ask them afterwards how how did it feel did it feel great did it work and people might report yeah it felt better but it would also it's not just the feeling it would actually enhance their performance so the physiological changes in the body they might run faster they might report feeling less tired and then you could tell them maybe a week later by the way that was only water but the (laughs) knowledge that they thought they were having something else really does impact the body so the nocebo effect is the reverse of that so it essentially says that a negative expectation can cause negative effects so for example if you said to somebody If you gave them a tic-tac, told them it was a tablet and said, oh, nine out of 10 people that take this tablet are going to feel nausea just to let you know you might feel nausea nine out of ten people will probably then experience the feeling of nausea and again it's not just the feeling that it because you've planted the seed in their mind they actually will present with physiological physiological symptoms in the body because of this nocebo effect so Mm -hmm. it exactly works both ways now this got me thinking where am i going with this (laughs) it got me thinking about the fact that you were giving that diagnosis as a young athlete and as a young woman and then that could have gone either way for you so you had this fortitude to say no, this is not going to define me. I'm going to go out onto that track. I'm not going to tell people that I have this diagnosis because I, I'm going to persevere. And, and, and if you'd have, I suppose, got taken it the other way and said, well, what does this mean? What does MS mean? Mm-hmm. How is this going to affect me? What can I or can't I do? Mm-hmm. You may have adopted some, I suppose, like limiting beliefs or or an expectation or or others might have limited what they believed was possible for you and that could have really held you back yeah so it's a a very i don't know at the time as you said you weren't aware of this but what other people around you kind Mm -hmm. of saying hold on
1: like trying to explain to you this is what ms could mean yeah i I remember one doctor um saying because i remember saying no i'm not going to take that because it's a drug and i'm an athlete and i can't take drugs (laughs) and i said to him i was I'm a national 800-meter runner. Back then, I wanted to be an 800 runner. And in the soul of my souls, I want to be an 800 runner, but I'm not because <laughs> um, I'm not a distance runner. I'm a sprinter. Um, but I said to him, I'm a national 800-meter runner. Uh, I'm not going to take that. And he kind of gave me this, like, sorrow, pitying look, like, mm, I don't think you'll be able to do that. And, and so when I got diagnosed, it was the same doctor, and I remember him so clearly, grey hair, bright blue eyes, really scary. And he said, you know, you might need to change your lifestyle. And my mum was sat next to me, and he was like... You might need to change your lifestyle, you know. You said you run um track, and I don't think that's going to be possible for you. And I blocked it all out, I blocked all of that out. I said no. And anyone that knows me knows I see the world through rose tinted glasses. I'm like the most optimistic, positive, at times really annoying, like oh, guys, but this is great, this is happening. It could be like absolutely chucking it down, and I'd be like, oh, look how great the puddles look. I'm like one of those people, and I just blocked all of that out. So I'm not taking anything negative because I fully believed in myself and I fully believed that I was going to make a full recovery because even when I had my diagnosis I still wasn't fully recovered I was still kind of limping I was getting that movement back but I remember saying no I'm going to go back to the track and it took me a few months to actually get back on the track after that Um, and my sister at that point was at the world junior championship so she was miles ahead of me and I was like yeah I'm going to catch her up I'm going to be um, at the level that she's at and so I could have taken what those doctors said and and think oh they told me I can't be a, a national athlete but I had plans to to be an international athlete. So I was like, you're not going to stop me doing that. And I almost used it as fuel because when someone tells me I can't do something, I will fall... like, we'll do it. So I remember one of my A-level teachers telling me I'd be lucky if I got a B in chemistry. And I wanted to study chemistry at university and I ended up doing that. Um, and he said, you'll be lucky if you got a B and I got an A star in the end because he told me I couldn't do it. I said, right, you know what? That chip on the shoulder. And this is the thing. Yeah. I'm not,
0: I, I Again, I'd go back and forwards with this kind of idea that the chip on your shoulder is always a bad thing. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's yeah. a good thing. I've had those experiences yeah. definitely in life where people have rolled their eyes at me and gone, Adrienne, come on. <laughs> like, you can't do, you know, like you yeah. said, that teacher who doesn't believe in you or who criticizes you i mean who are these people and why are they teachers but <laughs> it's the chip on the shoulder although it doesn't f- always feel good in my experience yeah. anyway it mm-hmm. doesn't always feel good to be out trying to prove you wrong prove you wrong yeah but it can fuel you and it can be a
1: good thing yeah it can and you almost want to prove yourself right and that's the thing it's like okay well i have these dreams and aspirations and if you're going to tell me i can't do it i'm i'm going to show you that i can and mm-hmm. so it ends up you end up spinning it to something so positive and one of my sports psychologists i've, I've had Three in my career, (laughs) and the one I have now is like an absolute godsend. My first sports psychologist said to me, All right, don't think of a blue elephant. And it's that nocebo thing that you mentioned. It's like, Okay, straight away, you think of a blue elephant. And so you've got to take that thing and and spin it, right? Think of a grey elephant. So, like, spin it around to what you actually want to see. Um, And so I I spin everything around. And only recently, I actually also got told I can't do something (laughs) in track and field. And I've used that, and I've had the most amazing three weeks of training because. Uh, like someone really important said to me that I can't, you know, do something next year and I was like, you know, you know what? I'm gonna prove you I'm gonna prove you wrong and I'm gonna prove myself right because Mm. it's like time and time again I get told I can't do something. And I think when I released my MS story, a lot of people one of the interviewers actually asked me, Do you believe that you can make World Olympic finals? And I was like, I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't think I can make World Olympic finals. Yeah, I have setbacks and I have so many setbacks. I haven't even spoken about half the relapses I've had to, to endure but um, I would not be doing this if I didn't fully believe in myself. And I think if I wasn't ill at the World Championships, I fully believed I could make that final. Mm. And I went into those championships believing I could make that final. Um, and so time and time again, you get told you can't do something. And I always, always, always spin it because like you can be sad and and, and, and think negatively of, of yourself. But at the end of the day, it's like, who who is to tell you that you can't do the dreams and aspirations that you've thought of since you were a kid? Like It's all down to you. Um, oh. So there's such power in in yourself, in your mind, and I think 17 year old me showed that. <laughs> yeah, well, you continue to. Honestly, you continue
0: to. And you you mentioned it then for a second. Oh, my sister. But for anyone who knows you, you have a twin sister. Mm-hmm. I want to say mm-hmm. identical twin. We are identical. identical. Yeah, we look separate now. We've got different hair colours. <laughs> yeah, an identical twin sister who is also an incredible athlete and who, as you said, has had incredible success. So at that time when you were having these it, these relapses, you're going through these things no one really knows and obviously your sister is yeah on the world stage achieving her dreams and goals yeah i mean i can't actually even begin to think you know i know you're a positive person i know you (laughs) and your sister are incredibly close but that could have gone either way as well because you're watching your sister literally identical she's like a mirror of you (laughs) doing that and i remember when you were on the show before yeah i remember you saying to me then obviously didn't know about this then but you said it fuels me because I can see her and I think if she can do it I can do it too Yeah. yeah. so yeah how did you I'm sure it's probably difficult when she's not here to speak on her behalf <laughs> but it's probably difficult for her as well mm-hmm. and you're so close and you're kind of in it together but she's not having to experience what you are so yeah as a twin how on earth did you manage that yeah I
1: mean it was so difficult being a twin because um, I, to this day I still get confused like people go are you Lavi?" I'm like no I'm not Lavi. I'm Lena." but actually now it's flipped so people go to her and say are you Lena?" because um, for some reason more and more people are finding out about me. But back then it was like really difficult because um it was hard because I knew I could be the same. I could have been the same level and had I not fallen ill or had I not, um, you know, gotten weak at some point, like I, I would have had the same progression, but I just kept getting it was like two steps forward, one step back, whereas mm. she was always two steps forward, more two steps forward. And so it was really difficult to see the success that I could have had. But then when I kind of went past 18 eighteen, nineteen, twenty now, twenty one. <laughs> um, when I started to get into my twenties, I started to to really stop comparing myself because it was so damaging to, to say what could have been you know um, what could have happened and what could have like, even when I look back at my summer I'm like I could have made the world final but it's damaging to think about that and so I stopped comparing myself and I started looking at myself and what I could have been in as, as, as an athlete mm. and that's actually one of the reasons I switched to the 400 meter hurdles a lot of people don't realize like we, used, we both used to run the 400 meters um, but I was miles behind. Now we're quite close, actually. Fun fact: our season's best are zero point zero one seconds apart. Wow! <laughs> so she's ranked seventh in the UK in the 400. I'm ranked eighth in the UK. Now her season's best is fifty one point five three, and I'm fifty one point five four. And I was so upset Oof. when she knocked me down the rankings. I was like, Oh gosh, why did you knock me down? um But back then, I was like, All right, I need to do something to make myself uh, an athlete and to. To have my own story basically and I said I'm gonna give the four hurdles a go you know and I had no training like nothing and I just blindly entered this open race and, and ran the four hurdles and I loved it and I was starting to like lose joy of the 400 meters and so I was really like enjoying that journey and only now I can really say I'm a hurdler I think because I spent, I spent a long time trying to be be a good hurdler but um yeah it was I think a lot of people are are victims of this I, I think we we compare ourselves to people Oh, what, like she's doing this and I want to do that and then you lose yourself and you lose your own journey. And it took me a long time to actually be okay with my journey. And um, once I did that, I just became like a, a whole person in my own right. And, and it was really freeing, actually. So mm. but um, being so close to her, she was the only one for such a long time that I knew exactly what I was going through. So whenever I did win a race, she'd cry more than me. <laughs> so if you look at pictures from when I won, um, so I came second at the trials this year again no one knew anything so it was only a month after that did I release my story but she was crying like I, she dragged me down to the floor and we were like hugging each other and that the photo ended up going in, uh, Instagram viral like it was it got like 25,000 likes I was like where did these likes come from usually I get like 2,000 I was like where did these likes come from but it was because you could see the emotion and only she really understood like the journey she's used, she used to like look after me when I was going through relapses where I couldn't really hold things or like do my hair and she would be the one to look after me so she really understood what that meant for me um and so to have someone so close in my circle to really like spur me on obviously seeing her successes makes me want to also achieve that so I think we're at such a privilege and I always say to people we're at such an advantage because we have each other and Mm. I don't think people really understand how important it is to have such a close support system and Mm. I don't think if she wasn't in the sport I don't think I'd be in the sport and that's wow. believe like believe that and yeah. I think she'd say the same thing
0: well I <laughs> think you know it's as we've discussed many different reasons why it would have been difficult for you to share your story before but now you have now you've spoken and said you know what I I, I have this diagnosis and I'm gonna continue to do what I want to do with it yeah now for I'm sure you have your reasons for doing that and I'm sure that a lot of young people who get diagnosed with illnesses whether that's MS or whether that's diabetes or Mm -hmm. epilepsy or you know I know when people uh, get a diagnosis in their life it's it changes everything doesn't it you know it might change the way you feel about yourself the way other people feel about you the way other people treat you and so I think it must be incredibly powerful for a lot of people actually to hear your story to see you and the optimism and just the energy and even this conversation you you just have this blind you know there's no feeling sorry for yourself there's no and I know that's not I shouldn't really say that but you know often people they do, it's like, well, now I now I can't see anything else. I can't see a way out. And, and yeah. like I said, people start to treat you differently. Mm-hmm. So I think it must be really, yeah, really powerful for people if they have been diagnosed with an illness to look at someone like you and to yeah. say, you know what? Maybe I'm not gonna be uh, an Olympic athlete, but I'm not gonna also allow this to define me. I can continue to achieve my goals or live the life I wanna live. Yeah. And maybe it has to adapt. I'm not gonna you know yeah. pretend. It yeah, might definitely. have to adapt for some people, but you you can
1: find yeah an op- optimistic and a and a positive way through. Yeah, I think especially with something like MS. like I had a lot of messages on Instagram of, of a lot of young girls. Like I didn't realize how many young girls actually get diagnosed with this, because I thought I was young when I got diagnosed. I was only 17, but I had a message from a 14-year-old, a 15-year-old, a 21-year-old, Like so many messages. And they all said they're so scared to even tell their friends, because they think that they're gonna be treated differently and discriminated against. Because I think the knowledge that the public have of MS is that it's disability, and then you can't do You can't even work a proper job and for some people with ms that is the case um but it's such a wide spectrum and it's it it just presents so differently for so many people um speaking of my twin actually she got diagnosed last year um and she only had like tingling on her left arm and that led to a diagnosis and for other people it's a complete opposite um symptom that they're going to have where it's like they might not even like be able to move their legs Um, and so i think a lot of people are really scared to kind of talk about diagnosis. and this leads to other like autoimmune conditions. I mean celiac is, is another one. Mm. Um Crohn's disease is another autoimmune condition. There's like so many people people deal with these these conditions and we, we just have no idea. And I think a lot of people didn't have any idea with me because it was such a shock, I think. Um but I think a lot of people do get scared and they do get it is. It is difficult to not be sad. Do you know what I mean? Because it is such a life changing condition. And I was. Don't get me wrong. I was such a sad eighteen year old. <laughs> I was so sad. I was like, I'm not gonna be able to. to... Um, go to the Olympics or you know go to the World Championships and um, I dealt with that sadness and then on the other side of that I was like you know what just make do with what you have like just play with the cards that you've been dealt Um, I'm probably never going to break a world record (laughs) and I'm okay with that but I'm going to try and make make it to the World Championships so I'm going to try and make it to the Olympic Games and I was so close last year (laughs) Um, but I I think it does require people who um, are dealing with these things to actually put themselves on the public stage and show people the absolute range that you get with, with conditions like MS and other autoimmune conditions, Like, it can be so different. And I think that's why it's so important to to showcase exactly what you're going through and so that people have something to look up to. Because when I got diagnosed, I wanted someone to look up to, mm. um, but I couldn't really find many positive stories. And I found one positive story um, and I actually ended up reaching out to her, Karina Cox, she's a good friend of mine. Um, she actually helped me out. She got diagnosed two months after me. <laughs> so it was so fresh for her, but I remember DMing her on Twitter. I had a BlackBerry back then. <laughs> I remember uh, DMing her on Twitter and going, I feel really sad, like I don't know if I can do track and field. And she was such a positive uh, beacon for me. And she just said, look, just try and get as far as you can. And um, I think people like me and Kadeen and, and others in, in sport and doing, you know, things that we like, I think it gives people that beacon of hope. And I actually got interviewed recently by a very pessimistic journalist. And I had to put him in his place because he was like, you know, what did he say? He said something like, um, a lot of people think that there can be a cure for MS. Um, and I said, yeah, you know, I think it's it's positive to think about that, you know, think mm-hmm. about the fact that it could be cured one day. And then he said something like, but isn't it damaging to give people that false hope and I said I think the more damaging thing is to tell people that they can't do what they want to do mm. and it was just like this mic drop silent moment because I don't think um he came across a lot of positive people that mm. have um conditions that can be debilitating and um I think it's really important to that's kind of like the role that I want to have is to show a positive spin on it yeah. and it and actually ended up being my purpose like I made it like my it, it fuels me to this day it fuels me to train harder and it fuels me to to be a better person and a better yeah. athlete yeah. as we spoke about um, it, it it in a weird way gave me a purpose to life because I was like I want to use this and I want to make it something and This is even way before people knew about it. I was like, yeah, this is going to be something, even if it's just for me, to show myself that I could do it. Mm. Um, And so I always tell people whenever they go through a difficult experience, allow yourself to feel that sadness, but not for too long. And just spin it and make it a positive thing because it can be such a powerful drive for you Mm. in whatever you're doing in life. Absolutely. (laughs)
0: Absolutely. (laughs) Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? next thing that I want to talk to you about is yoga we've touched on this you are a qualified yoga instructor when I met you I don't think you had maybe even started this journey then and now of course you're a yoga instructor on the fit app you know (laughs) again we talked about this off mic but a lot of people probably don't know that I don't work at Fit anymore, but of Which course, a shock to
1: me well. yeah, like, exactly. I haven't
0: worked at Fit for a while, but my <laughs> husband, of course, you know, they still have access to me, and I still have so much love for everyone, the team, what they've done, and and of course for to democratise fitness and for so many people to be able to access people like you and to have you there in their living room <laughs> and to be able to train with you, and recover with you, and work out with you. Yeah. So talk to us about yoga. Why does it bring such a big smile to your face? What yeah. does yoga do for you how did you embark on this journey
1: yeah do you know so we had our last podcast was it January you said 2019 so it was actually September that year that I decided to book a first um, first class I (laughs) wish a one way ticket to India um so I had failed to make the world championships that year I I think I was a half a second away from the standard that I needed and so I was so close but yet so far and it was it was heartbreaking for me because that was obviously one of my goals was to make the world championships and I was like really really close and I just told myself you know what I think I'm done with sport and I was like every athlete goes through this (laughs) where they like have this one dramatic moment in their life where like I'm going to retire and then actually they just realized that they just needed a break so I remember like sitting in my room at like two o'clock in the morning and I booked this one-way ticket to India because I wanted to do it properly like I really wanted to like experience um classic yoga and um I just I went there to teach myself and the story I told back then was that I had a stress fracture which I did um and I had to find other ways to move but what a lot of people don't know is that I actually had a relapse um in the spring yeah which was a loss of coordination I always tell people like oh they're like what's that like and I'm like you know when you go on an escalator that's not working Mm. oh (laughs) yeah and it's like that weird moment of like oh this Feels that's what it feels like to have right. like a relapse where you lose coordination Um, so I had a relapse and I had to f- I couldn't really run properly because one side was weaker and the, j- there just wasn't coordination it was a really strange sensation it was so weird I can't even explain it but I couldn't train properly and so I did have to find other ways to move and this was after I had the stress fracture um, and then I f- someone told me to go to yoga I can't remember who it was I think it was my osteopath he said go to yoga class Um, it's really great to kind of like keep the nervous system going and I was like what? yoga? like that's really weird but it's kind of like it's to do with balance and coordination. And so I went to yoga class, hated it. Really? (laughs) Hated it, I was like, "What? why do people do this? Everyone knew the names of the poses. Everyone was flowing into the next pose and I was there so confused, like, how do people know this? Um, And I went out of that class, like, thinking, oh, I failed. You know, being a sports person, you wanna do everything You wanna do it the best. (laughs) Yeah, to the perfect standard. And I left thinking like, oh man, that was really bad. Like, I'm so bad at yoga. But then I noticed that evening that I was moving better and it was such a strange feeling. I was like, oh, like, I feel connected it felt like something had rewired in my body wow and I realised the power of yoga and so I took myself to another class I think two days later and it was a different class I think it was like dynamic vinyasa or something and I loved it and I started to understand and then that's kind of why I started that yoga journey and that was in 2017 um so I was practicing yoga for two years and then I wanted to go to teach training to teach myself. So to understand a little bit more about the anatomy of your body, to understand all the poses, not all the poses, there's like 20,000 poses, <laughs> <laughs> the majority of poses. I wanted to, to yeah, just sequence classes for myself to c- reconnect myself if a relapse ever happened again. And so people always go, you know, um, she just became a teacher f- just for fun. Actually, it was because I didn't want to... Um, ever be like weak again I wanted to always move my body and and so that's kind of the reason I became a teacher Um, Mm. and then I started when I came back from my teacher training I was like oh I think I can actually teach athletes and so I started I was actually working as a gym receptionist back then when I came back and I remember like going on like the class schedule and like taking a class out and putting my class in <laughs> i was like power yeah, go with lena so i changed the timetable and i started teaching classes and i realized how much with I permission learned. no yeah, yeah. I, I spoke to the student <laughs> manager i was like thursday thursday afternoon can i take that slot and he was like yeah take it um and i started to get my regular students coming in and i love teaching in studios and then the pandemic hit and i was like oh man i just i just started to really like get experience with teaching and so i took my All my classes went down. I think I was teaching like nine studio classes a week and it was like seven, six, five, four, three. And then it moved to Zoom and I did not like teaching on Zoom because everyone turns their cameras off and then it's like, you can't see them. And I love that interaction. And that's one of the reasons I love teaching yoga is seeing people like leave the class with a joint in their face. And um, so then I was like, maybe i'll take it to instagram live Uh, and so i went instagram live and i put it on my story. i was like guys i'm going to teach friday flow (laughs) at 4 p.m on a friday expecting maybe 10 or 20 people to show up on the live and it was like 250 people on on my first instagram i was like whoa this is crazy um and so i taught like a 20 minute class and then i got all these dms like can you teach again next week and so because we were all in the lockdown it was like I did it for 10 weeks straight and that's actually how I got approached by fit Mm. (laughs) was because I was doing Instagram lives and I always believe everything happens for a reason. Um, And then I started teaching up fit and I absolutely loved it. It was like such a positive um, atmosphere with everyone. Everyone was so passionate about fitness and I was like, yeah, this is for me. And so I think my brand or like who I am as a person is movement. Movement for me Mm. is such a big thing and it's so important. And even going into like the summer that I had, like. When I had my relapse in, so I was all the way in Eugene for the World Championships. Um, I told, I asked, I asked <laughs> the team members to fly me home as soon as possible, because I told myself I have to move. I have to take myself to classes, because I knew that was the best way to recover from that that relapse. Because so what was, had happened was, it was I couldn't feel the left side of my body, but it was also right-sided weakness, and I knew it would get worse. And it's also the nutrition as well. Mm. Food in America is not great. <laughs> so I told myself I need to go home and I need to fuel myself and I need to move. Mm. I just need to walk my dog or go to yoga class or do something. And that relapse and ended up not being so bad and I think it was because I told myself you need to start moving and, yeah. and move your body in different ways. Um, so being a yoga teacher for me encapsulates all of that yeah Yeah. well
0: I think yeah movement is something we both share a passion for we both
1: talk about you know I talk
0: so much about movement move your body and sometimes I feel like a broken record you know movement's good for this movement's good for sleep movement's good for energy digestion cognitive function what is movement not good for yeah and I think for a lot of people unfortunately they've just got movement in this box in their head which says exercise which says hard work which says break Mm -hmm. a sweat which says don't want to do it and you know I well, you might not know, but I go and I talk to a lot of organisations, to the employees about performance, well-being and about the tools that we can all use, regardless of whether you're a pro athlete or whether you're a tech engineer or whether you work in marketing, whatever, there's these things that we can all do and movement being one of them. Mm-hmm. And it is interesting and, and sometimes it's, it's quite limiting when people just think, okay, exercise is not for me, movement is not for me and it's really really great for people to find these different on-ramps. So whether that is through walking, whether it's through running, whether it's through yoga, whether it's through a fitness app, if yeah. there's an on-ramp that f- that people can use to go, actually this way of moving my body, what you just said was I, I experienced the power of yoga because for you, as you said, you went and had that class and then later on you're like, hold on, I'm moving better. Yeah. Now for other people that might just be, you know, going out for a run or a walk and coming back and going, you know what? My shoulders are dropped. Mm-hmm. I feel a bit less stressed. Yeah. I feel a bit better able to cope with the demands of my day. People have to find those on ramps. And I think whichever way it is, I'm never going to stop talking about <laughs> you know, the power of movement yeah. because it's we're 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 made to move. Right. Mm-hmm. We are made
1: to yeah. move and yeah. our bodies do not want to be sitting still all day. No, it's so, so important. And that's kind of why also why I like yoga because it's so accessible. I always tell people, you can do it on your living room carpet. You don't even need a fancy yoga mat. You don't even need a space. You can literally just put the TV on if you want to put friends on in the background and just do it on your living room carpet. And that's why I love about, about yoga and also running because um, I think Usain Bolt called it the poor man's sport because all you need is a field. <laughs> you don't even need a fancy track. Um, and so I love accessible movement and I think mm. that's right. I love yoga and I teach all kinds of yoga from yin to um power yoga which is my favorite type of yoga because <laughs> um, it's like so many different types of, of yoga that you can do and um you just you don't even need a fancy gym membership or mm. you know um a fancy teacher you can literally just do sun salutations in your in your living room yeah. <laughs> and that's what i love about it and um like i always sometimes well, i say always sometimes i wake up feeling demotivated and that literally it's like a flip of a switch as soon as I walk my dog in the morning and come back I'm like wow a whole new person and that's just because I've walked Mm. for 10 or 20 minutes and it's such um it's like the power of movement is so good for the mind Mm. um just to get that fresh oxygen through the mind and just to get some space and some air and um and uh, yeah movement is just so so powerful and I think everyone can benefit from it
0: if anyone's listening to this i had a dm from someone the other day after my weekend long run my weekend long runs are back <laughs> more about that another time because i am training again for endurance events which is great but also scary don't know how you do it <laughs> yeah <laughs> and so i had a dm from someone who said adrienne i'm injured right now and i just i'm so down i movement is my you know how we're talking about this movement is so great movement is medicine movement makes you feel great and she said i'm so down i'm so low i can't find anything else that replaces that feeling of going for a run or being able to train hard and i think you know i don't know this person i don't know them at all you know stranger on instagram but she essentially was like what can i do or what do you do if you're injured to to kind of come out of that now obviously you've talked about having relapses and maybe knowing okay it's going to get better but maybe not knowing how long is it going to take Mm -hmm. so from a mindset perspective if you are feeling demotivated if you are feeling low if your energy and mood is so attached to physical movement and that identity if someone's injured and you cannot train yeah how do you approach that are there any other practical things any other tools that you've
1: learned over time to say okay i can't train right now yeah i'm gonna do this instead (laughs) well i've become a master of it (laughs) not being able to train i mean so i always again put a positive spin on things um so i'm a sprinter all i do is run very fast um and i don't do much else And so whenever I've been injured, so when I had my stress fracture, I remember thinking, okay, I can't put any load through my legs. So I couldn't even like go to the gym and do squats, um, which a lot of people can do if they're like slightly injured. And I remember one thing telling myself was, okay, what weaknesses do I have? Um, And my core was extremely weak back then when I had my fracture and I thought, okay, I'm gonna spend the next, they told me it was gonna take like four weeks to recover. So I'm gonna spend the next four weeks redirecting my priorities in fitness to making my core stronger as opposed to getting myself faster Um, and so I spent so much time finding what are the weaknesses I had and and working on that and so that's when I've had like a fracture and I thought okay I'm gonna work on my core and then when I came back to running you don't even realise how much your core is so important when you run (laughs) and then I end up running and feeling so much more stable and so much more like powerful because my core like everything from my back to my abs and my hip flexors which also counts as your core was was so strong um, and so when I've had relapses um, I look at other things that I, I can work on and so um, m- more recently when I've had relapses I actually work on my biggest weakness which surprisingly is my mind <laughs> um, and so I work on my mind so I've been like reading books and then visualizing myself in in the on the world stage and um, I've been spending a lot of time in the past year doing that and I think that's why I had such a good season this year was I worked a lot on on my mind and made it made it a lot stronger so you have to kind of obviously nothing can replace the feeling of running fast because it's just the running fast but you have to almost redirect your focus on what you want from running fast and you need a strong core you need a strong mind you need coordination and balance um so that's another thing I work on when I've had relapses is is work on my balance and coordination so I'll do the most uncomfortable yoga poses revolve triangle revolve half moon (laughs) those things it's like so uncomfortable but I know it's going to work on my balance and that and things like that so I just I end up just redirecting what it is to mean what it means to run fast and and what you need to do that and so all working on every single tool that you have in your disposal so Mm. I would say to someone who is going through an injury or an illness um is to see what else you can work on in that time because you hopefully will get back to where you are
0: yeah yeah there's yeah. something we can be working on and it feels incredibly frustrating and mm-hmm. i'm an impatient person so i know myself you think oh six weeks that's so long or six <laughs> months but actually the time does pass and if you can work on those other things mm-hmm. then once that time passed you're going to be better yeah, off for it definitely. exactly yeah so let's talk about the power hour let's talk about how maybe the power hours changed or or... i'm not gonna put words in your mouth you tell us so (laughs) what day what time does your day typically start and what do you
1: typically do in the first hour of each day yeah that's actually a good one actually to lead back to so last year i was training um on the east coast of the states which is five hours behind the uk so when i first flew over to the states um i woke up at like half four in the morning because obviously jet lag um and i didn't change that sleep schedule i made sure that i was waking up at five five thirty it ended up towards the end being six six (laughs) thirty um but i would make sure to wake up early because you can get so much done in the morning and i didn't realize this because when i'm in london i usually train around 10 a.m which a lot of people are like oh i thought athletes train early no we train at like 10 a.m um so i'd wake up at like eight Um, But when I was in the States, I was waking up really early and I'd walk my dog first thing. Um, Walk my dog because that movement, like get the, the oxygen flowing through the mind. And then when you're walking your dog and most of the time I'd go without my phone is you'd walk the dog. And then when you're walking, it's I like to call it moving meditation. You start to think about your to do list and you start to think about what you need to do today. And I'd make like a mental note of things I wanted to do. And Um, I didn't it was really funny the group that I was in we never knew what our session was going to (laughs) be you just turn up to the track and then coach would say you've got so and so today now I have my program so I'm I'm a bit prepared for my sessions but back then I didn't know what my session was going to be so I'd always prepare myself for the worst (laughs) so if I've got what's the worst oh my god like three times 300 flat out full recovery it's like the worst any track athlete will tell you that's the worst session so I'd prepare myself for the worst session I'd go right if coach today says you've got race rehearsal you've got a really fast time trial you're gonna smash it um so I'd always like prepare myself for training so walk my dog and then I'd go have my coffee when I'm done and then when I sit with my coffee then I'd write down my to-do list and then I made sure I would spend an hour working on my mind and this is why I think now um mentally I'm like in such a strong place is I would read a book or go through my sports psychology notes my sports psych will always send me assignments <laughs> so i go what assignment has he sent me this week and i'd work on that and i'd spend such a long time and so whenever i had a sports psychology um, session he'd go wow you've, you've done so much on this because i spent that first hour of the morning like really working on that um it's so, almost like you've read the power hour book it's almost like i listened to the power Hour <laughs> podcast <laughs> again maybe listen to a podcast like do something to make my mind stronger um yeah. and so for me now you know going into this latter part of my career um power for me means working on the mind Um, and so yeah it's different stages walk the dog refresh the mind wake up and then really think about your intentions for the day Mm -hmm. and that's my big thing is setting your intentions Great. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. <laughs> this is
0: honestly because it's all very well. Of course, I talk to people for a long time now. Can you imagine how long I, I have been move. talking to people <laughs> about the benefits of early rising, about creating that time to be intentional and taking an hour? And it's almost, I don't want to say it's become dilute but because I've been doing it and talking about it I think people sometimes think yeah Adrienne, that works for you you know it works (laughs) for you so it's always great to hear different people's versions sometimes you know it might be really structured it might be not so structured it might but to hear for you I suppose the the impact that it's that it continues to have is what I want people to take away not that you have to do this prescribed thing it's actually just the the repetition i think and being intentional about having a power hour in the first place yeah just that just saying okay i'm going to walk the dog then write the notes, have my coffee, work on the mind, read the book, just, you
1: know, the commitment and keep doing it and doing it and doing it. It's yeah, it's really, really powerful. Yeah, for sure. And it it almost, I love that you say it's like the first hour of your day because it can change everything. Like I said at the start, like if you had a school day and your mum screamed at you, like the whole day's ruined. (laughs) So think about that. And then like, think about, okay, what am I going to spend the first hour of my day doing? And I love that. And I actually got the inspiration from the power hour was okay, right. What am i going to spend my first hour in the morning doing. And so I made it a routine and um it just became something it was one of my non-negotiables was work on your mind today this morning before you go to training and absolutely batter yourself on the track
0: (laughs) yeah Yeah. wow oh this is making my day (laughs) okay and the last question because i thought about this earlier on when we were talking right at the start about the athlete the title of athlete and the identity of athlete versus the whole complex self so lena what is one thing that you wish more people knew about you
1: oh oh you took me by surprise there um I wish more people knew that hmm I'm taking a little break (laughs) I'm thinking we can cut it in because I did just throw that one out there do you know what I think a lot of people looked at my Instagram and thought she's a runner 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 does fitness 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 but actually um I wish more people knew that how much of like a loving person i am like i absolutely adore my dog he's like my wallpaper on my phone love my friends check in on them and um just love building the relationship that i'm in at the moment it's just made me such a nice nice person so i think a lot of people were surprised at how like okay i was in the summer is because i had all of that like that yeah. loving part of my life, so I wish. joy people knew that I was more of a human I think I want to post more about that on Instagram because I, I do post a lot about running but actually oh please do please <laughs> do
0: we love to see it and honestly it's funny because you know again we have talked about the summer and the joy and this has been the most joyful year of my entire life as you know yeah. and I felt like that with you know how many times can I post photos of my wedding <laughs> I literally said that when I walked in I was like you're glowing <laughs> you're actually, yeah. like,
1: literally you can see it on your face yeah,
0: yeah. and I think it's funny isn't it how these limited versions of ourselves that we share online with the world yeah. whether it's okay you you're an athlete so show us this or whether it's you're a motivational speaker or whatever the thing is we are so much more Mm -hmm. we're so complex and actually i feel like for whatever reason of course i've got you know my son i've got blended family i've got stepchildren so you you, there's there's lots of reasons as to why you might share certain things and not other things that's okay you know we can have a private life i'm actually sharing an episode of the podcast soon to celebrate four years of power hour which is probably the most personal Uh, interview I suppose because instead of being the host I am the guest oh yes so that is coming very very soon And so it's fresh in my mind this idea around you know we don't have to share everything of our lives this weekend being a perfect example my weekend this weekend was Watching my son at football. It was doing homework. It was doing French revision. It was, you know, stepchildren. It was cooking. It was, uh, one of them has been on well, so it's been, you know, up in the nights. All these different sides. All yeah. this part of your wonderful, colorful, busy life that maybe you don't share, but also doesn't have to. Yeah, we we have so many things in our lives, and it's great to. We want to see it. So basically, yeah. yes, show <laughs> us more. Show us the joy. We want to see the track, and we want to see the track star, but we want to see the whole. The whole person, the whole Lena. True. For as yeah. much as you want to share with us. For as much okay, as, I'm going to keep that in mind. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming back. Oh,
1: thank you for having me. It's Being been here.
0: Yeah, it's been wonderful. And I mean, I am I get to train with you because I do your wonderful classes on the Fit app. So you're a regular in our living yeah. room. But um, yeah, I hope to see you again very soon. And yeah. thank you everyone for tuning in, for listening as always. I really appreciate it. I hope you're having a fantastic week. And I'll be back again next week with another episode. See
1: ya. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at fifty dollars, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus,